When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. Looking for the perfect gift for the book lovers in your life this holiday season? Give the gift of TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations as diverse and interesting as readers are. Choose from plans that allow your loved ones to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email as a one-time gift or year-long subscription and sit back while our bibliologists do the rest. When your recipient redeems their gift, they'll complete a profile to tell TBR about their reading preferences and what they're looking for, and they can even connect their Goodreads account. Then we'll match them up with a bibliologist who will handpick recommendations just for them. Gifts start at just $16, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine. So when you treat someone's shelf, you're supporting an indie, too. Visit mytbr.co slash gift to sign up today and give the bookish folks in your life a personalized bookish experience they can enjoy without leaving their home. That's mytbr.co slash gift. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 91, and we are recording on October 30th, the day before the spookiest day of the year. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we are talking about Under the Radar Favorites. Yay! Mine are actually kind of Halloween themed by accident, in that they're kind of both creepy. So that was not on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) i love halloween uh it's my favorite holiday like bar none honestly it's my i just love it so much um and like i love the history Mm. behind you know all hallows eve and the day of the dead and all of these you know moments when we experience a thinning of the veil, yes. as it were. And I yes. love getting dressed up, and I love candy. Like, what's not to love? Are you going to get so. dressed up even though we're all indoors or whatever? So my RPG group is having a brunch Sawin uh, celebration tomorrow. Um, so that's so. By the time you listen, I will have done that, and I am getting dressed up for that. I'm excited to pull out my costume bag. I am also experiencing some cognitive dissonance recording this though, because by the time y'all listen to this, it will be the day after the election. Yeah. So like, <laughs> it's a real weird moment to be recording, and I'm sure it's going to be really weird to listen to as well. So apologies in advance. Hopefully, we'll all be having a good. Wednesday. Yeah, sorry if anything feels tonally weird, but we yeah. do not know what's going to happen in the future right now. We nope. left our time machines elsewhere, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, here we are. Here we are. 
let's see. Okay, so let's let's actually do some show things here. Yeah. Um, so we are going to be doing a holiday recommendations question, and that can include holiday recommendations just for you. If you want to send in a question about uh, gift giving this year, what you're looking for, who you're looking for, all of that good stuff, you should feel free to do that to yeah at bookriot.com, and we will do our best to help you out. We will indeed. So before we get to our picks and to news, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is Kingdom of Sea and Stone by Mara Rutherford, published by Inkyard Press. Ever since Nora was forced to go to a nearby kingdom in her sister's place, she's wanted nothing more than to return to the place and people she loves. But when her wish comes true, she soon finds herself cast out from both worlds with a war on the horizon. As an old enemy resurfaces more power than more powerful than ever, Nora will have to keep the kingdom from falling apart. There are forces within the world more mysterious than Nora ever guessed. Can she stay alive long enough to conquer them? This is described as the cruel prince meets Ash Princess. It's a thrilling fantasy and a sequel to Crown of Coral and Pearl. So if that sounds like your thing, you should check out Kingdom of Sea and Stone again by Mara Rutherford from Inkyard Press. All right, let's talk about some news. And the first thing I wanted to talk about, kind of in theme, on topic, in regards to how strange this whole year has been <laughs> and how strange this moment is, is I came across this list from Tor.com by Stubby the Rocket, which I'm sure is just their community uh, editor or their community written um author. So it says it's about all the stuff that brought us nerdy joy in 2020. And I went through this list because I was like, yeah, I want to like go back in time and, you know, get a recap of all the fun nerdy stuff that happened this year. And there are lots of great picks like there's the Doctor Who change that we talked about what feels like 20,000 years ago. Where we got Sasha Dewan as the master, and then there's the Magician series finale. There is Oscar Isaac's Dune Beard, which I found funny. Yeah. Um, there's so much stuff, like the Bill and Ted stuff. And just going through this list, I was kind of like nodding my head and like, none of this is stuff. I feel like I've been so out of the loop this year on all of the pop culture nerdery because I couldn't think of a single thing really that happened this year that I would add to this list. And also I was looking at the list and like, I don't remember half of this. I do remember John Boyega speaking at uh, a Black Lives Matter protest that's at the end of the list. Um, And that is an excellent addition. But a lot of the other stuff, especially like a lot of the uh, lighthearted stuff, I just cannot remember 
<laughs> because this year has been so, kind of a void. And so, I mean, it's a great it's a great list. There's more than just science fiction and fantasy stuff on this. There's also like the Great British Bake Off Pandemic Edition, which sounds like a dystopian science fiction thing, <laughs> but is not because it happened. Um, but it's a great list. Like if you want to either, you know, enjoy some of the fun lovely things that happen this year in the worlds of science fiction and fantasy and beyond or like me have a list of things you just completely missed because this year has been so wild and you want to catch up on it maybe at some point in the future uh who knows when this is this is a good list to check out do you do you see anything on here that like speaks to you you know, it's funny, uh, but Sarah at Tor.com picked Murderbot as a thing to put on here. And it threw me back to, it was probably April when all I could read, because, you know, the pandemic had really just started to be, like, lockdown was being enforced. The pandemic yeah. was already in full swing, but lockdown had just started to be enforced. And I, I like, didn't know what to do with myself. And so I read all of the Murderbot books in a row wow. <laughs> over the course of, I don't remember, I don't think it actually took me all that long, but it was like, you know, I was supposed to be doing work reading and instead I was rereading and then catching up with Murderbot. Um, mm-hmm. So I I felt that on a visceral level. Um, I also, you know, Great British Bake Off, like, yeah, that that oh, is right off of my coping day. list right there, um, for sure. I do love Oscar Isaac's Dune B. It's I can't disagree with that one. Um, <laughs> you know, some of these are not uh, my fandoms. Like Hannibal is not a thing no. for me. So, and I'm I'm like six years behind on the magicians. Um, but oh, also the video games one, Animal Crossing. I mean, I don't think I'm surprising anybody when I say that I co-sign that one. It has <laughs> been. In fact, so today. I saw a suggestion that we like uh, one way to like cope with the coming week is to make a post-election plan Um, Mm, because I think, you know, so many of us are so focused on like just getting to that day and it's like what happens after whichever way it goes, like what will you do with yourself? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a very valuable suggestion. So, you know, like at the time you listen to this, I will be like neck deep in mac and cheese redesigning my Mm. Animal Crossing Island. Like, that's my post-election plan. (laughs) That sounds amazing. I never got into Animal Crossing because I was afraid that I would never do anything productive again in my entire life. Because that is the sort of game where I will become obsessive. And it sounds so fun and so relaxing. But, you know, I might have to – I might have to take it up post-election. I will say, while it is totally possible to play for hours, you can also play it in 10-minute bits because the missions, quote-unquote missions, are, like, so (laughs) tiny. Like, one villager is like, can you return this to somebody else? Like, it takes, like, five seconds. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. It's not like 
these big lengthy like boss progressions or anything. It's just like I now I will catch a fish. Now I will make a pumpkin jack-o'-lantern. Like they're very you can play as long or as short as you want or as circumstances and work allow you to. So yeah, I, I will say I bought a switch light uh back in May, basically just to play Animal Crossing and I regret nothing. So. <laughs> I might be sold. I remember the the Switchlight saga. I remember. Oh that. my gosh, it was a whole saga. Everybody at work heard about that. So I'll spare you all, though. Well, let's move. Let's move on. Yeah. Anyway, that was a good list, though. It was a good list. Yeah, and I was glad you put <laughs> I it. So. I was glad you put it on there. Um, I want to talk about. I want to rant a little bit. Let's rant a little bit yes. about this piece of news that I saw yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Molly Templeton at Tor.com reports on a deadline piece that Adam Sandler is going to be starring in Netflix's adaptation of Spaceman of Bohemia, which I know because I published the shows, you just talked about Sharifa in a Backlist to the Future episode. I did. And I was like, is somebody listening to me? Like, how is this? Because I literally have not heard anything about Spaceman of Bohemia since... You know, the year it came out, probably, like, after that, because of all the influx of books, it just sort mm-hmm. of faded into the background. And I was, like, looking around the room, and then I noticed what the actual headline was and was like, I have a lot of thoughts about this. Yeah. I I read and loved that book when it came out, and this concerns me. Mm-hmm. For several reasons. And my biggest concern, well, I have two big concerns. The first is that I, this leads me to believe that they're going to change up the plot um, and like not make it so like Czech Republic focused, which I think would be a shame because that history so informs. Like, I could see how you could take it out, but I think you would be left with a hollow shell of a book. But, like, can Adam Sandler, do I want to see him trying to do an accent? Like, the answer is no. (laughs) The answer is a hard no. And then concern number two is that the choice of Adam Sandler makes me worry that they're going to decide that it's wacky when really, to me, that book is surreal in a really beautiful, sort of thoughtful way. And like a wacky spaceman of Bohemia. I Like, I get that the giant space spider is weird, but like, it doesn't have to be wacky. I don't know. What do you, what are your feelings? I have this, I had the same thoughts because, you know, I know Adam Sandler for some very specific films and I know he has played it serious before but I feel like the choice I can't help but think that they are going to go they're gonna lean hard on the wackiness because I can see how that could happen and I just think that like the book is so cerebral and it's so Mm -hmm. thoughtful and there is so much there are so many layers to it that I'm really, I'm really concerned that they're just going to smash those layers and create this very sort of flat story because there is some potential there for that. And I agree that like the the history of the, there is so much stuff I learned about, you know, the Czech Republic that I, that I never would have come across if I hadn't read Spaceman of Bohemia and the main character's 
entire history, like Jakob's entire history is is so closely linked with the history of the region that I'm just like this this could potentially be a completely different story than the one I really enjoyed and I don't want to be judgy about it before it's even come out but but, <laughs> but I don't want to judge about book. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. Like I I'm curious to see to hear more about how, where they're taking this story and what direction they're taking it, but I'm very skeptical. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm concerned with a capital C. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The one movie in my entire history that I ever walked out on in a theater was an Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Adam Sandler fans out there. I'm very sorry. I he has done one or two roles that I was like, oh, so he like can do other things mm-hmm. that are not just like, you know, happy Gilmore and variations thereof. But most of what he does is happy Gilmore and variations thereof. So I am yeah, I'm I have concerns. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find out, I guess. We'll find out. Um <laughs> So speaking of movie type things. There was a recent story that we actually talked about on the site that tickled my fancy and made me think about other opportunities this might uh, create. There is There was a tour of the Twilight House. This was brought to the world courtesy of Atlas Obscura, and... Kelly Jensen, our editor, wrote the piece on this tour of the Twilight House situation. And basically what happened was that uh, yesterday, the day before we're recording on October 29th, there were tickets available for people to purchase to tour the Twilight, the Swan House specifically. And I I knew that Twilight was filmed around the Pacific Northwest generally, and I realized that this home is actually only like an hour away from where I live. <laughs> so that was interesting on its own. I'm not like, I I still have never read the Twilight books. I've never watched the movies, so I am completely... <laughs> Sharifa, I didn't know that. It never. I have never watched any of the movies or read the books. I'm just like, there were so many people who were willing to do it for me. And Sure, sure. And I I think that there was a time in my life where I really would have loved this story, but I just, I kind of missed the bandwagon and never got on it. So, but I had to choose this story. All that said, I chose this story because, first of all, I thought it was interesting that this was something people found as a way to kind of not capitalize necessarily, but kind of capitalize on like the whole virtual traveling scenario. And I thought Mm. it was really interesting, the idea of like, where else could you take a virtual tour so that you are feeling like you're having a bit of an escape from the same four walls? And like, what kind of science fictional and fantasy 
settings would we be able to get virtual tours of? Like the first thing that came to my mind was I would love to take a visit to Bag End in Hobbiton <sighs> and just yes. watch – like I would pay for a ticket just to watch somebody basically in Bag End baking. <laughs> like take me on a tour and then we'll go in the pantry and they'll just be like going about – their baking day, and I would absolutely do a virtual tour of that. And I feel like there are so many other places. This one was kind of exceptional and convenient in that the Swan House is already an Airbnb house. The owners right. of it realized that this was like an opportunity. And it's already an Airbnb house at only $284 a night if you would like <laughs> to rent that house. And... But the Shire is also, you know, it's in New Zealand and it's still standing, I think. Yeah. So I feel like there are other opportunities like the science fiction and fantasy community would absolutely buy into. I think you are 100% correct. And <laughs> I would also pay for that baking and bag end experience. Like a lot of, I would pay more money than I should for that experience. Like they could I do a great British bake off in I, New Zealand. Yes, 100%. 100% would pay for and watch. Uh, yeah. I, now I'm trying to think of other sets that we know are still up, and I just don't know off the top of my head because this is not where my head went when I saw this story. But I love this. I love, I love this idea. I love your vision of it. And I also <laughs> love that you are like this pure... You've never read Twilight. It's so it's just funny, you know, because so I was a bookseller when they were just starting to get popular. Um and I read all of them. I ran uh midnight release parties for them. I have defended them on the internet mm -hmm. as like, you know, cuz there are so many criticisms you can make about yeah. them. Like there are lots and they're all valid. I mean, many of not all of them. Many of them are valid. Um but I also I so I tell this story from time to time. Apologies if you're listening if you heard it before, but listen. Here's why I will always defend Twilight to a certain extent as reading material. Just not, it's not a perfect story, but as like a valid reading choice. So I have a, a, a cousin who's like 12. She, I was 12 when she was born. She's much younger than me. And she's now a grown up. And like, but I, you know, have been around for her entire life and childhood. And she was not a reader. She identified as not being a reader. She liked wow. magazines. She didn't like books. And when I was working at a bookstore in Utah in like, you know, the late 2000s, um, she they came to visit me and they came to the bookstore and her younger sister was like, you know, pulling books off the shelves right and left. But she was just kind of like, you know, didn't care that she was in a bookstore, was not interested. And we were talking to one of the children's booksellers there who was like, well, listen, girl, like you are definitely the only person in your school who hasn't read this book. Like you should take it and read it. Um, and she did. 
And then, like, no lie, like a year later, when I was visiting for Christmas, she asked to go to the bookstore. I was like, I'll buy you whatever she want, you want. She wanted Edward Abbey. Like, she went from not being a book reader to reading Twilight to, like, exploding into all kinds of different books. Wow. And, like, Twilight did that. Like, Twilight showed her that a book, that reading could be fun and interesting and feel uh, comfortable and familiar and exciting to her. Like it was a book that spoke to her in whatever way and opened a door for her. So like, yes, Twilight is ridiculous in a lot of ways. Yes, it is super problematic in others. But like, I don't give anyone grief for loving it or for recommending it to others because that is a real thing that happened to me and in my family. That is a lovely story. I I don't know if I have ever heard that. Or if I did, I'm glad I forgot it so I got to relive it all over again. Because that's fantastic. And I absolutely agree. Like, I would never knock people's love for Twilight. That's not a thing I believe in. And just because I haven't read it or watched it doesn't necessarily mean that's me casting a judgment on it. Sure. I literally missed the bandwagon. But yeah. 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 But I, I agree. And I think that is a great argument in favor of just letting people read. Just right. Just people read. Read what makes you happy, you know, and then you can read some more yes. after that. Um, like there's always more books. Uh, okay, speaking of books you should read, hey, hey. there's a segue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm so excited that uh, these got written up also on Tor.com by Andrew Tejada, the uh, winners of the inaugural in- Ignite Awards, which were awarded by the very excellent literary magazine FIA um, at their FIACon 2020, which just happened and which I heard was amazing. Um, One of our other podcasters, uh, Patricia, attended and said it was one of the best weekends of her life. So that's awesome. That's amazing. Um, But they announced the winners for this award. Um, This is the first year and it's really exciting. The shortlist was already great. And I'm super pleased to report that Gods of Jade and Shadow by Silvia Moreno-Garcia won for Best Novel. And yes, yay. And then We Hunt the Flame by Hafsa Faisal won for Best Novel in the YA category. Mm Mm-hmm. And Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky by Kwame Mbalia won for Best Middle Grade. And This Is How You Lose the Time War by Max Gladstone and Amal El-Motar won for Best Novella. N.K. Jemison's Novelette Emergency Skin won for that category. And then Rebecca Roanhorse won uh, for Best Short Story. I mean, the list just goes on and on. It's You should check out the whole list. It's really awesome. If you have been sleeping on really any of the books nominated, uh, we definitely, I recommend anyway, picking them up. And I'm sure, Sharifa, you do too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have nothing to add to this except this is an exceptional list of winners and congratulations to them all. And I'm so glad these awards exist. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good, good stuff. stuff. Is that all for our news? I think that's somehow it. Home? I think that's it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. How did that happen? Time. Right. It's meaningless. 
It is. All right. Okay. So let's see. Let's do another sponsor and then get into our under the radar picks. So our next sponsor is Space Throne by Brian Corley, which is a title I do enjoy saying, I will say. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Okay. What is this book about? When his sister took the throne, he decided to make a plan. Was death his best move? Parr will need the help of his friends if he has any hope of getting past the galaxy's most dangerous bounty hunter and a pirate king to reclaim the throne. But what will they eat along the way? Because there's only one rule in space, never the hot snack. Anything but the hot snack. I don't, I don't, I have to confess, I don't know what that means, but I'm, I'm very curious. (laughs) So Space Throne is the latest from Portland-based writer Brian Corley. He is the author of the paranormal comedy Ghost Bully. And this is a sci-fi adventure intended for fans of Firefly, Becky Chambers, and Mike Brooks. And yeah, it is apparently full of wacky hijinks, and you can get it at your local bookstore or download it today through Amazon or Kindle Unlimited. So again, that's Space Throne by Brian Corley. Thanks for sponsoring the show. (laughs) All right, let's talk about our under the radar picks. Oh yes, okay. One. This wasn't. Yeah, I was trying to. I I was trying to arrive at a, a criteria for myself. Like, what does it mean to be under the radar? Um, yeah. And for me, I settled on. I just haven't seen that many people talking about it. Same. Yep. <laughs> That's where I landed as well. <laughs> Yeah, which is obviously very subjective, uh, but here we are. Um, And my sci-fi pick is Elegy for the Undead by Matthew Vaselli, which blew me out of the water. It is a novella from an independent publisher, Lanternfish Press, whose books I have just been, like, loving this year. Um, They really have exploded into my brain. And this one, so I, I will caveat that, like, uh, the when I was asking for a review copy of this, um, I was made aware that Shauna McGuire had tweeted about it. So, like, I guess theoretically that's not like super under the radar, but also like how many people see a tweet in any given moment, and like how many people then go on to pick up the book. And since that, I have not seen anybody else but me talk about this. So that's that's my under the radar pitch for this book, and it is. Ooh, it's it's a it's a zombie story. Uh, it is about basically like contemporary America, um, specifically Pennsylvania. And Jude and Lyle are newlyweds, and they are uh, unfortunately in a region that experiences an outbreak of a disease that turns people into zombies. And um, there is like no cure and the area is quarantined. And, you know, one of them gets bitten. This is not a spoiler. Like it happens really early on. You know, this is going to happen. And like they have to deal with the fact that like even though they can delay the onset of this, there is no cure. And so you go back and forth in time from like when they first met and how they felt about each other then and like all of these different moments in their relationship 
to like the outbreak and then them being on the run and like trying to survive. And then once the outbreak is contained, like what is life like knowing that your loved one has this incurable disease and that like you might have to do something drastic to help them at the end. It's really it is a queer tragedy. I will say like this is not a happy ending story, but I have not read a zombie book that hit me as hard in the feels I think ever quite wow. frankly wow. it is it is a real feels roller coaster <laughs> um and it's it's kind of like it's hard to like recommend a book about a virus outbreak right now like that feels like a really weird thing to do and it also feels weird to like recommend a book in which one person has to watch a loved one like succumb to a disease. But like if you are looking for catharsis, if you're looking for good writing, if you're looking for that like powerful feelings, uh, you know, emotional kind of science fiction, really character driven. And like, yeah, what does it feel like to go through this? Like, not what does it feel like to fight your way through a horde of zombies, like, but the much more mundane, like, what does it feel like to live in this kind of reality? Like, this is the book. And I, I would be so sad if, if people don't discover it, um, even if you have to wait for a bit to like, you know, get to a place where you can read it, like put it on your list because I really do think it's excellent. Um, and it's a debut and I'm, I'm really, I will be paying attention to see what comes next from Matthew Vizelli. So again, that's Elegy for the Undead. Well, if you were hoping that mine was going to not be about a virus outbreak, my apologies. <laughs> I know, Here we I are, 2020. <laughs> Because my science fiction pick is a dystopian apocalyptic tale. It also has all the trigger warnings. I was going to list them out, but it would have just been all the trigger warnings. So Mm. I'm just going to leave that right there. And I guess this is what you get from a book about cannibalism. (laughs) So I chose a recent release which I normally wouldn't choose as an under-the-radar pick, but this is a work in translation, and when it came out back, I believe in August? Yeah, in August, I saw it, like I saw a photo of it, of the book cover, and then I never really heard anything about it again. So it's Tender as the Flesh by Agustina Bazterica, and this is translated by Sarah Moses. And I can't really, I really, really can't talk about this book without getting into some of the squicky stuff like the cannibalism thing and also by acknowledging a lot of the brutality around that. So if you need to skip ahead to the next book, please do. So this one came out, yeah, in August and I didn't hear much about it, but once I took a glance at the synopsis randomly because it was like one of those Libro arcs I came across, I knew I had to read it. So Bastarica is an Argentinian author and the book actually came out a couple of years ago in Argentina, but it was just recently translated into English. So I would say that if you are not in the mood for a book about a virus sweeping the globe and leading to 
popular and government sanctioned production and consumption of human meat, this may not be the book for you right now. <laughs> Put it on the back burner, maybe. So in the story, we were following Marcos, who owns this meat processing plant that was handed down to him before this virus tainted all animal meat. So the virus made all that meat deadly to humans. So now he's in the business of processing human meat. And when we meet him, a tragedy has happened in his family and his wife left to be with his mother for a while. And Marcos is just immediately <clears throat> depicted as this tragic figure. And he reasonably takes no pleasure in the New World Order at a time when just about everybody's accepted cannibalism as a normal part of life. There's this whole business and trade, and it sounds all very civilized and very separated from life as a human being. So there are butcher shops and there are commercials for like special meat. And there's this very careful and specific way people talk about human meat that's different from the way they talk about human. Like they don't talk about their meat doesn't have a first and last name, that sort of thing. And there are people, there are humans who are treated with humanity, and then there are humans who are raised for slaughter. And this is also, like, like yours, Jen, a very character-driven story. There is not, like, this big plot you're going through. It's not, like, beginning, middle, end sort of thing. And the horror of the story comes from Marcos' everyday interactions and activities from interviewing candidates for positions at the plant to showing them how to take live humans and process them. And there are weird things about certain employees and coworkers, like this manager who has a thing for skin. It's just like there's a lot of that gruesomeness. And Marcos the whole time is in this sort of quiet crisis, going through the motions while also recognizing how low we as a civilization and species has sunk and also struggling with his place as a cog in this new world order. But he is also no heroic character. So I will say that this is sort of a horrifying look at the degradation of humanity and the sort of brutal potential we all possess and have and would act on because there are like callbacks to things that have actually happened. And I just I can't stress how explicitly horrifying this is. Like, no person, no person is sacred in this book. Everybody, there are people who are just outright treated like animals. It is not a comforting read. It is not a happy story with characters you'll love or even like very much. But I think it's a book that to me reads as a sort of warning against complacency and opportunities to excuse brutality and inhumanity and atrocities because, you know, by excusing them, we allow them to become commonplace and acceptable. So in that way, this was a cathartic read. It was also horrifying, but I could not stop reading it. So again, I've been talking about Tender is the Flesh by Agustina Basterica, translated by Sarah Moses. Ooh, timely though. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Well, on a much lighter note, um, my other, my YA pick, my it's actually my fantasy pick that is also a YA pick, uh, is Spin the Dawn by Elizabeth Lim, which is the first in a series called The Blood of Stars. And I I found this book, I think because of Amanda on Get Booked, and then I read it and loved it, and then I just completely didn't even realize that the sequel is out, um, which always says to me that a book is under the radar. Mm-hmm. Like, when the sequel has arrived and I didn't know, even if I've read the first book, like, that counts as under the radar to me. And this book, y'all, is, it's like Mulan plus Project Runway. Oh, my goodness. It's so fun and so interesting and, like, very stressful in that, like, competition with super high stakes kind of way. Um, It is, and I didn't invent the Mulan Project Runway. Like, it's a really obvious comp. But so Maya, the main character, uh, is, um, you know, lives in a very small town and she has, you know, big dreams. She loves her father's a tailor. She's been raised, you know, she's his apprentice um, and she loves to make and design clothes. But she knows that, like, probably what's going to happen is she's going to get married and, like, help take care of her father who's ailing. Um, but the uh, there's a royal messenger who shows up one day to bring her father to court because his fame has, like, traveled the lands or whatever. Um, and they there is a big competition to dress the uh, new bride of the emperor and they want her father to come and partake in this competition but he is too ill to go so she in like Mulan style poses as a boy and takes his place Um, and she knows that if she gets caught like she's gonna be killed probably and like this will be bad Um, but she also knows that this is a chance to like provide for her family and to maybe even achieve her dreams so she goes and there's a mysterious court magician who she's like perpetually concerned is gonna figure out her ruse and there's these other tailors who all like seem very like friendly but actually are sabotaging each other and backstabbing each other constantly and like trying to like murder maim sabotage their their opponents and there's so much fashion in this book and I'm a huge Project Runway fan so I was just in heaven I was like yes describe all of the embroidery and brocade to me like yes give them a weird materials challenge like I'm so here for it (laughs) I'm so here for it and there's magic and there's just all kinds of great moments that are also steeped in you know Chinese culture and history Um, Elizabeth Lim is really bringing that to this as well and it's just such a great so satisfying fun story but obviously also not the end of the story like the second book uh is called unravel the dusk and i have my library hold in and i'm so excited for the next stage of maya's adventures and yeah if you need like some good escapist immersive Actiony and also very lush world building y kind of reading. I cannot recommend it more highly. So, again, that's Spin the Dawn by Elizabeth Lim, and that's the first book in the Blood of Stars series. Okay, I also have a lighthearted pick. <laughs> I feel like I feel like this is a good balance now. So I might have been the only one who slept on this book, but 
I feel like this author is really prolific and with prolific authors sometimes some books just get lost in the shuffle and I only just learned about it this year. So this is a horror slash fantasy read and I know I said horror and that might set you off thinking this is not lighthearted but it is just trust me follow me. This is horror light and it does have its creepy moments and its ghosts and its ghoulish sights and suspense, but it also has some really cozy, funzy, humorous moments. It's a really good balance and I was mostly smiling through the whole thing. So I'm talking about The Twisted Ones by T. Kingfisher. And yeah, this is just a really fun story that's perfect for... You know, someone like me who loves animals and stories about single women just living their lives and also side characters with big personalities. And the book follows Mouse, who narrates this story in a really wonderfully wry and sarcastic tone. And Mouse has to go to her recently deceased grandmother's home in rural North Carolina, which is not a setting I get a lot of in books. So that was also really interesting. So she has to go to rural North Carolina to clean house. She has to go fix up her grandma's house because while her family as a whole isn't isn't sentimental, they're very duty-bound. That's just a quirk of theirs. So she sees no option but to go even though she has a pointedly distant relationship with her notoriously mean-spirited grandma. Like, everybody knows how mean her grandma was. So Mouse just had a breakup. She is not distraught about it. But when she heads over, it's only with the companionship of her good boy, Bongo, who is a hound dog. And Bongo is very sweet, but very not smart. So... It turns out Grandma had a hoarder's home and Mouse has her work cut out for her. So she's in it for the long haul, which means she's staying in this rural town for a while because it's a small town. She quickly meets some of its characters, including her neighbors, at this sort of commune across the way. And then when Mouse starts to experience some strange things, including some really unsettling events in the dark of the night, and also this uh, unexplainable, inexplicable phenomenon that transports her to this surreal and uncanny place, she starts to get the sense that maybe she's not the only one who knows something weird is afoot in the town. But then all signs point to this theory that the weirdness of the woods has something to do with her grandfather, who's also passed away, and whose diary she just discovered. And so when when Mouse goes through the diary, there's this obsessive search, I guess, of her grandfather's for this thing he calls the Green Book. And this search traps Mouse in these unusual goings-on she hasn't begun to understand. So... It also has, uh, I wouldn't have guessed this outright, but it definitely has a very specific fantasy leaning, this story. There is a a horror element 
that is very fantasy driven in this story. And I won't tell you what it is because I was surprised by it. And I think that it's fun to be surprised by it as well as a reader. So I think if you like snarky, kind-hearted characters, you're going to love Mouse. And I'm also a big fan of her new neighbor, Foxy, who epitomizes the character with a big personality. She's this older lady who tells it like it is and isn't afraid of adventure, even though it might be frightening or risky. And there's also this goth barista. There's no dude around gaslighting Mouse on the regular. And there's a lot of inclusivity regarding characters of color, which is great. So if you love that, if you love dog antics in stories, the dog doesn't die in the book. <laughs> that is not a spoiler. It's said right in the beginning of the book. Then I definitely think you should check this out. It was a great slump breaker for me. So that's the Twisted Ones by T. Kingfisher. I have seen references to that book around, but I, I didn't realize it was horror light. All I heard was the horror part, and I was deeply uninterested, but now you have sold me on it. Yeah, I just need to tell it's really, you. it's so much more fun than scary. Awesome. I love that. Well, maybe that will go on my my post-election plan. Yes. <laughs> on the plan it goes. On to the plan. All right. Well, we are sending our love and hopes for your post-election plan, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And uh, for all of us, really, <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that, that we will have some good news uh, or good food at the very least. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, thanks also go out to D.R. Baker, our sound editor. Many thanks to them for making us sound great each and every episode. Uh, if you would like to email us with your favorite books of any sort uh, or suggestions for the show or you need your holiday gift giving guide, uh, you can send those to sffia at bookriot.com. You can also review us on Apple Podcasts if you're so inclined. And we super appreciate it when you do. It helps other folks to find this show and we love to see the feedback. And in between shows, you can find us online. Sharifa, where are you? I'm on Instagram at Sina Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And I am also on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And I just I just pulled my Tumblr out of mothballs for the first time in like two years. And let me tell you, I am not sad to be back. So if you are on Tumblr, I'm on there too again as Jen IRL. Uh, and otherwise, yeah, we'll we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>